around 60 to 80% of all the impact you're making when you're face-to-face, which we are now in a virtual world, 60 to 80% is done non-verbally with other than words. Words account for somewhere between 7 to 10%. So the things that we can write on a sheet of paper are classified as words, and the rest is intonation, tone of voice. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. So, one of the things that's really fascinating me right now is body language. And I've come across multiple books on body language. The book that is really captivating me at the moment is by Alan Pease, who is also, surprise, surprise, our guest today. It's called The Definitive Book of Body Language. This book is a gem. I just started reading it as research for this podcast, and I've not been able to put it down. Now, here's what's so interesting about the book. I'm going to read you a quote from the book that really captivated me. So, Alan wrote about this researcher called Albert Merabian, who was a pioneer of body language in the 1950s. And what Albert found is that the total impact of any message that you're getting out, right? So think about this, folks. Any message is only 7% verbal, words only. It's 38% vocal, including tone of voice, inflection, and other sounds. It's 55% nonverbal. 55% nonverbal. But how many of us pay attention to that? We go to schools where we have thought to speak with impeccable grammar. We learn writing, but nobody teaches us the nuances of body language. And this is why I'm so excited about our guest today, Alan Pease. He is one of Australia's most successful authors, writing 18 top 10 bestsellers, including 10 number one bestsellers. His books have been translated to 55 languages, sold over, holy crap, 30 million copies. I just saw that number. That is huge. His books include The Definitive Book of Body Language, Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps, Why Men Don't Have a Clue and Women Need More Shoes. And if those titles make you smile, it's because Alan also has an incredible sense of humor. Yes, he even wrote a joke book. Search for his name, you'll find it. His research has been in the cover of magazines ranging from Reader's Digest to Playboy, Cosmopolitan, and Oprah. His monthly relationship column has over 20 million readers, and he produced a number one European box office movie and TV series that was watched by over 100 million people. And he's presented seminars in over 70 countries and been a consultant to prime ministers, TV stars, lawyers, and criminals. And get this, was an image consultant to the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin. He's a life fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts, a Life Fellow of the Institute of Learning Practitioners, a Fellow of the Institute of Management, a Fellow of the Life Writers Association, and a professor at Moscow State University. I'm sure that has no connection to Putin. So without any further factual information on Alan, let's bring on the man himself, Alan Pease. Welcome to Mind Valley. You know, after that introduction, Vish, I cannot wait to hear what I've got to say. It must be riveting. I want you to teach me everything you taught Vladimir Putin that helped him become the richest man in the world. Well, that's the, his reputation is that he's the richest. I mean, the estimates go that he's worth somewhere between 200 and 300 billion, but nobody really knows because personally he's only worth a small amount of money, like about six to eight million US dollars. And the interesting thing about Vladimir Putin, he gets a lot of bad press from the rest of the world, particularly from the West. And I spend two to three months of the year in Russia. I look at both angles. I see the Western view of things, and I also see the Eastern Bloc view of things as well. And it's interesting because the biggest thing I had to teach the Russians, and that's Russians in business generally, is to smile. Because after 70-odd years of communism, smiling was frowned upon. In fact, if you're in the armed forces, the Navy or the Air Force or the Army, if you were smiling and laughing, you were seen as not being serious about your work and your approach to life. So you would be thrown in jail. And so smiling was frowned upon. And this is the one thing that younger generations in Russia now who are very dynamic, they have university degrees and they speak English and they want to be us in effect. They want to have a nice home and a nice car. That younger generation has inherited this non-smiling thing. And teaching them that when you deal with Westerners or the rest of the world, because now we have a global community, if you're not smiling, people are likely to think 
because you're aggressive or that you don't like them, when in fact that isn't the case, it's a misread. I'm blown away by everything you've accomplished. You've just led a legendary life. Now, on the topic of body language, there are so many different applications of body language. I'd love for us to pick one and go a little bit deeper, and I'd love for you to share with us some interesting tips and mind-blowing facts because they are littered all across your book. And those who are listening, The Definitive Book of Body Language Mm -hmm. is a remarkable read. It's hilarious, absolutely hilarious, but you'll also learn so much. Alan, if we want to go deep in a category, what's a good category to start with? Is it sales? Is it giving a speech? Is it dating? What are some other areas we ought to be looking at, Alan? Well, the first thing is to understand that if you look at Albert Morabian's original research, that was in 1951, and it was the first research since Charles Darwin, because Charles Darwin was the first in 1888 to document, he wrote a book called The Emotions in Man and Chimpanzees, and it was how attitudes and emotions were expressed through movement behaviour. And then it was a big void until 51 when Albert Morabian came out with those statistics you mentioned of 7% of words, 38% tone of voice and 55% body language. But I, I went back and looked at Morabian's research. His database that he used for that were 19-year-old white American males because it was not in college. He was a college professor. And so it, it didn't really cover the whole spectrum. Now, the latest research, which was started by us around 25 years ago, shows that around 60 to 80% of all the impact you're making when you're face-to-face, which we are now in a virtual world, 60 to 80% is done non-verbally with other than words. Words account for somewhere between 7 to 10%. So the things that we can write on a sheet of paper are classified as words, and the rest is intonation, tone of voice. Now, one of the things we know about business, because business has been in my big arena for over 50 years that I've been doing this, if people buy you, that is, if they feel comfortable with you, if they feel like they identify with you, that you understand them, if they like you and buy you, there's a pretty good chance that they will buy what goes with you, which is what you say, what you want to sell, what you want to negotiate. They're more likely to give you the job. They're more likely to give you a yes to whatever you say if they like you. Now, the reverse is true also, this, that if somebody doesn't identify with you, there's something about you that causes a tilt. They just can't make that connection. And usually they can't even pinpoint what that thing is, then they're looking for reasons to say no to whatever you want, even if it's a good idea. So the bottom line is if you can get people to buy you, get them on side, then you can pretty much go anywhere. And if you look at the world's top leaders, the one thing that they do have in common is the ability to sell themselves to masses of people and get people to agree and proceed. And so it would have to be the ultimate human communication skill. It surpasses everything, including any education you might have, because nobody cares how much you know, as they say, unless I know how much you care. And body language is the way of doing it. And body language in simple terms is an outward reflection of your emotional condition. So it shows how you're feeling. You're happy, sad, angry, holding back, telling the truth, lying, likely to say yes. So the key to being able to read it is to take what you see, that is the 60 to 80% medium, match it up with what you hear them saying in the environment under which it's all happening. And that allows you when you become good at this to figure out what could be going through their head. And also keep in mind that if you have a female operating brain, you're two to three times more likely to be able to pick it up than your male brain counterparts, which is the bottom line why most men can't lie to women to their face and get away with it. And we teach men, don't lie to women to their face if you know them. SMS, telephone call, half a chance, but don't do it face to face. So Alan, your most recent book, I believe, is called The Answer. Yes. Okay. So I want to ask you about that book. From what I understand, The Answer, the idea for the book was stemmed from you surviving prostate cancer. Yes. And it covers a three-part formula to show readers what to do to achieve their goals. Let's talk about The Answer for a moment, and then we're going to address the audience question. The, most, the two most popular questions are how to yes. use body language in dating and how to use... One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You would just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master 
the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. Is it in negotiation? Yes. Well, the answer is, it's a fairly unique book, and it's the first one of its kind that we've seen, and we know of, that brings together all the things that we've heard most of our lives. We explain the law of attraction. We explain why goal setting gets a result. We explain why praying to your God will get an answer or get a result why the yin and the yang will work, by talking to the universe, which is mostly a female thing. Women say, you know, I talk to the universe. And most men think that's a whole load of baloney. You know, you talk, you're like you're talking to the sky. You've got to be kidding. But people who talk to the universe I will tell you, they get answers and they get results. So what I wanted to do with the answer was to find out how does all this work? How, how do all these things work? And you know what we found? It's all coming from the same part of the brain, whether you're talking to the universe or setting goals or praying to your God or the law of attraction, it's exactly the same thing coming from a little part of the brain. In fact, if everybody watching now, if you put your fingers on top of your ears like that and just move them around to the back to the center, just at the nape of the neck. Now, you've got your finger on a little piece of tissue. It's about the size of a small walnut, about that size. And it's neural tissues and nerve endings. But the important thing about it is it's called the reticular formation. It's a bit of hardware. It's the part of the brain that distributes all the information you see, feel, and experience in the day. So everything you experience in a day, if you touch, see, taste, everything except smell goes into this reticular formation and a bit of software in there distributes it to the brain for the brain to deal with appropriately. They've known about this for about 50 years, but nobody's really known this. So what do you do with this thing? We know the high forms of animals like your cat and dog has one of these as well. Now, the bit of software is the interesting part that distributes information to the brain. It's called the reticular activating system. And about, about 7% of people we've found have heard of this. We call it the RAS for short, just the initials are RAS. But it's the most important thing about your brain that you'll ever hear because whatever you put in the RAS, and the great thing is you've got 100% choice what you put in there. Whatever you put in there, your brain then goes to search for it. So, for example, everybody who's watching this program, you think of the car that you drive, if you drive a car. When you decided to buy that car, this happens to all of us, so that the moment you said, yes, I'm going to buy a white Toyota four-door or whatever it might be, suddenly all you see around you is white Toyota four-doors. You drive to the airport, there's a special with Avis out on white Toyotas. You open a magazine, a newspaper, there is Toyotas. Everywhere you go, you can't stop seeing Toyotas. Now, there's not more Toyotas around than before you decided to get that Toyota. All that happens is of the 40 million bits of information happening in your day, your brain can only deal with 2,000. So we wanted to find out how does it know which 2,000. Well, the 2,000 bits it focuses on are the 2,000 bits relative to what you put into your RAS. So if, for example, the woman, one of our seminars last week, had just found out she was pregnant when she came, and she visited our, our local shopping plaza here in Australia. And when she came to our meeting, she said, I can't believe how many pregnant women there are. Everywhere I go, I see bellies, I see prams and kids being pushed around. There's so many babies here. There's no more babies here than before she arrived. All that's happened is her brain is searching for everything to do with it. And this is the secret, that whatever you decide to think, and we've heard this, whatever you decide to think about all the time, inevitably comes to pass, as you've probably heard a million times from a million philosophers. But now we have the science of the brain to show why that's true. And everything will come to pass good or bad. So if you think about what you don't want, and you know, so most people think about what they don't want. I don't want to get divorced. I don't want my partner to run off with the neighbor. I don't want to lose my home. I don't want to get redundant. I don't want to get COVID-19. Suddenly their brain sees everything about that. They don't see the positives, only see the negatives. The trick to making this work, it's really simple, not necessarily easy, but it's really simple, is to only put into your RAS what you do want. Whereas most of us are programmed in our society to put in what we don't want and everybody gets most of what they don't want. So to change it, it's a simple twist. Only think about what you do want and refuse to think about what you don't want, which is what I did with cancer. They told me I had a 3% chance of survival for three years at age 47 and I decided I will live. 
And any medica who said that that wasn't true, I fired them. I said, you're fired. And this is what you do with people in your life. If they won't support what you want, what you do, you say to them, you're fired and you find people who will support your ideas. I had a journalist recently, he said to me, look, I'm 70 years old now. I was only supposed to live three years. And every three years they tell me, oh, you'll only live three years. It's a statistical number, you see. Three out of 100 people in my condition at my age, 47, with advanced prostate cancer, only 3% survived. Then it made sense those three out of 100 must have been doing something, thinking something, eating something they must have been doing that 97 didn't do. So I took a year of my life off and found the 3% survivors to find out what they were doing. And I did that because I remember when the doc said to me, he said, look, if you don't take our, our next advice and... They only had three options for cancer at the time, still the main three options. They're going to burn you, they're going to cut you, uh, or they're going to poison you. And I'd, I've been through all of that, and I just that just about killed me. And I didn't want to do any more. And I said to the doc, when he, when he said to me, look, we expect 10 to 20% of men your age and your condition in the next year will succumb, which means you die, another 30 to 40% in the second year, and most of the balance will die in the third year. And I said... Does anybody survive this? He said, well, 3% of people will live to be age 80 and have a heart attack. And I said, okay, suits me. Give me 3%, please. I will take 3%, doc. And this guy looked at me with, and he is a pretty well-known, respected expert. He looked at me, he said, no, this is not a choice, Alan. This is a statistical average of 100 men your age and your condition. I said, well, those three who live, they must have done something. What were they doing? And he didn't know. A medical profession generally doesn't know. They want to burn your cookie or poison you. And so I fired him too and didn't pay his bill. (laughs) So you found out what the 3% did. You did that and you recovered from prostate cancer. Well, I'm 70 years of age now and uh, I've never felt better. I'm doing as many things probably more now in my life than I did. And my whole life's been very active doing a lot of things as you've probably read, but I'm just as active now. And people are constantly saying, when are you going to retire? What? To what? I mean, retirement means stop doing something you don't like doing to go and do something you do want. Now, if you can wake up every day saying, I can't wait to get out and do whatever it is you do, you can't wait to get up in the morning and do it. When you go to bed at night, you're even disappointed that the day's over. If you can locate what those things are and you do it by the RAS in the brain, if you can pinpoint that, you never work another day in your whole life. And that's the secret because we know that certainly in Australia and America and the UK and the Western societies and Europe, that 75% on average of people when they wake up in the morning, they don't like where they're going. They wake up and they go, oh, hell, I've got to go there again and do this thing again. And if you're one of those and three chances out of four, you are. The answer is very simple. Quit. Get out. That doesn't mean you go in today and you quit because you're still going to pay the rent and you're still going to pay for food on the table. But you make a decision that this is not where you'll spend the rest of your life. Now, the next trick is to find out what it is you really want to do that turns you on so much that you can't wait to do it. In fact, you love it so much because you do it for free and you're in that category you love what you do i watched a couple of your videos and you love if if you could do this for free and let's face it we all started doing things for free, you do it because you love it so much and that's the trick if you can identify that and only think about that your raz will show it to you show you the how and so the bottom line to answer the question that's a long answer is what we ask people to do with the answer with the raz is to stop from today thinking about how you will do anything you might want to do because we're a house society. Oh, how will I get the money? How will I find the perfect partner? How will I build a big business? How will I win? Whatever you want to do. How will I become the king or queen or whatever it is? Stop thinking about the how. Think only about what. What you want to have, do, or become. If you can identify the what, and it's a bit scary doing this too, because you don't know how. If you knew how, you would have done it already, right? If you can decide the what and have faith that the how will appear, and that's what will happen. You'll open a magazine. You'll look at television. You'll look like on my screen, I decided I'd to learn speak Russian finally. And as soon as I made that, I will speak Russian. By 2030, I will be a fluent Russian speaker. As soon as I open my email, you know those little boxes where they try and sell you yeah. stuff on the right-hand side? Up comes the window. Want to learn a foreign language? Learn it here for free. I clicked it, and now I'm on the foreign language course. Now, I was interested, how long has that ad been appearing? It had been appearing for six months, and I, didn't, I never saw it. The minute I decided I want to speak a foreign language, I saw it, and that's the secret to it. Only thinking about what you do want, and if you can find that thing that turns you on so much, you do it for free. It's commonly called your passion, and most people either don't have a passion or they don't believe that they can make it their life's course. So whatever you're great at and love, the thing you love doing the most, so much in your life, 
and everybody's got at least one or two of these things. This is the key. And if you look at famous people like I me, mean, Oprah, all she wanted to do was talk. The girl doesn't shut up. They used to say to her, shut up, stop talking. Now she's one of the richest women in the world. You look at everybody in every field of, say, sport. Like Roger Federer, all he ever did, wanted to do was hit balls. He doesn't know how much money he makes. He still doesn't. He just wants to hit balls and, and win. When he gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's what he wants to do. The book, The Answer, is going to be next on my reading list. Love that. So I want to go to some of the questions now on body language. So the two biggest topics that came up from our live audience here, negotiation and dating. Let's start with dating. I want to read an extract from your book on the chapter on dating, which I found really, really shocking. You talk (laughs) about how men think they are making the first move because they walk across the dance floor, but they don't really make the first move. It's actually in the power of the woman. And you say, for a man, success in the mating game relies mainly on your ability to read the signals the woman is sending you, as opposed to being able to initiate your own signals. Most women are aware of courtship signals, but men don't see them very well. Men are far less perceptive, often being completely blind to them, which is why so many men have difficulty finding potential mates. And I found this fascinating, that it is the woman who's giving the signal, And the art that the man wants to learn is to read the signal. So let's go deeper. I'd love for you to talk more about dating, the nuances between men and women, and what lessons we can take away in terms of bringing proper body language awareness into our dating lives. That's certainly a hot topic, finding a partner. In fact, if you put it into your race, you can find the ideal partner for you in your life. I mean, I had a woman the other day said to me, she'd been married twice and had some other relationships. She said, I quit with guys. I give up. And that's a pretty common story. She said, I I give up with these guys. I said, well, describe the perfect guy for him. What's he like? She said, well, you know, I'm pretty flexible. I'm pretty open. That was the biggest mistake she could make because to be open is like standing in a baseball field, looking at a hundred thousand people saying, now, where is my perfect partner? You can't do it. But if you're absolutely specific that this person has red hair, blue eyes, freckles, whatever criteria you've got, suddenly that's all you'll see. You'll go to the supermarket and there is a red-headed, green-eyed, blue-eyed, freckled person who you never saw before because you didn't put it into your ass. You can find the perfect partners in your life by deciding first that's what you want and then giving it a very fairly articulate description of them initially physically, otherwise you won't be able to spot them. Okay, so you mentioned about women and your ability to read men in dating. And I mentioned this at the start, Simon, that women are, on average, when I say women, I'll be a bit more specific, female brain people, people have a brain that's operating in female terms, which is about three out of five XX women. That is, most three out of five women look like a woman and have a female operating system. One in five is more reversed. She looks like a woman, thinks more in male terms. And one in five is in between there. So that's a bit of a hard area to spot. But men, it's about the same percentage. About one in one in five men has a cross brain. He looks like a fellow, but thinks more like a woman. Doesn't mean he's gay necessarily. Bigger chance that could be the case. But he's probably a straight guy who thinks more in female terms, makes relationships easy. He can see if people are feeling hurt. That's an example. Now, typical high testosterone, three out of five males can't see if someone's feeling upset or hurt. Now, see means that you're reading micro signals of the face or body signals that are showing that the person is feeling some sort of stress or anguish. And women are far better at doing this. And the reason seems to be fairly straightforward that because women give birth to children, they still have, I'm glad that one's not equal because I don't want to do that. Because they give birth to babies in the first two years of a baby's life, when you think about this, like we give birth to useless babies. They can't do anything. Like a chimpanzee can defend itself and feed itself after six weeks on earth. If they're abandoned after six weeks, they have a good chance of survival. For humans, that's about six to seven years before we have any chance of doing that. So the first two years of human life, there's no language. So it makes sense that female brains would be wired somewhere. And now we can see with scans where that is located. I can look at babies that have no language and decide is it hungry, frightened, tired, injured, in pain. And the average female can identify seven emotions beyond a crying baby. This is an interesting one we did early in the piece. The baby's hungry, it's tired, it wants his diaper change, it's feeling stress, etc. Where men, most men will look at a crying baby and say it wants its mother. In other words, they're trying to solve the problem in the situation as opposed to reading it. And women grow up in life having far more perceptive ability to read nonverbal signals. Because if you think of ancient women back in the ancient days, they stayed around having babies all the time because no contraception while men went out hunting. That's their basic evolution. Even though there's a now a thought in America 
that women now were equal back in those days that they were hunting with men. Like you picture nine-month pregnant women chasing a, a mammoth with a spear. I, I don't think that happened. But their main job in life was to protect children. To do that, you need to be able to look at other people approaching and animals and work out from their behaviour in the distance, will they be friendly or aggressive? Because if your ancestors, if female ancestors couldn't do that, you wouldn't be here now. They would have been killed. Now, for men, that was never an issue. The main issue for men was find a target and hit it accurately. And if you could find a target and hit it accurately, now called football, baseball, because it's exactly the same process. If you can do that, you are the hero amongst men. You don't ask, how's that bison feeling? I wonder what he thinks about all this. You just got to hit hit it accurately. Those ancient skills, which have been passed down to us, are still here, but this is the danger we've got. We're now living in a politically correct world that's confused about who's who, yet we have ancient drives that are driving us that makes most people feel anxious and upset about. Okay, so women are better at reading it than men. So what it means, if you're a man, you need to first understand that. Now, you mentioned the dating at a hotel. And we did a lot of dating things with television and with videos over the last 50 years, starting with 16-millimeter film, can you believe? <laughs> I am so old, I can't remember. <laughs> One of the great things about that, we found that a man who said, yeah, I made the first move, you know, I was at the bar and I saw her and I crossed the floor and I asked if she'd like a drink and a dance. And she said, yes, and here we are, we've been married now for 20 years. And most men believe that they did it. But what hidden cameras show is a whole different thing, is that, Men will scan around a room somewhere and look for a potential partner. Well, I like her, I like her, I like her, like him. Then what they're looking for is the basic go signals, the green lights. And so a woman's looking at, at all the men in the room too, and she will start giving the right signals, pruning signals to the men that she likes. Now, the guys who are good at picking up on this, which is not a great percentage, as you mentioned earlier, they respond to that signal, then cross the floor and get the yes, get the date, get the kiss, get the drink. They get a yes, but they always think that they made the first move. But you know, it's less than 7% of men actually make the first move. They are given a green light, but we all know, and you know, and I know men who play the numbers game. So that is, they just go and ask for a yes from every woman who goes past. They only get naughty slaps in the face and one kiss. But most of us, we're pretty thin-skinned. We don't want to cross the dance floor and get a negative, get a knockback, especially in front of our friends. So if you can teach yourself what to look for, makes your yes rate go up dramatically, whether it's dating or whether it's getting a job or whether it's negotiating. So men have to learn what to look for. That's right. And women have to learn how to give the right signal to the man. Women intuitively know how to give the signal. That's one of the interesting things. Though. You don't really need to train women how to do it because we find that when I run my seminars on body language where we've got men and women in the room, many of the things I talk to men about are a revelation. They go, really, that's how it works. Whereas women are more likely to say, yeah, well, that's how it works. Yeah, They knew that, but they didn't know that they knew it until they actually heard me articulate it or verbalise it. Yeah, so if you're going to learn what to look for as a man, your yes rate to whatever you want will go up dramatically. As a woman, my body language books and seminars tend to show them what they already know. It articulates why they know what they know. But for most men, it's a revelation. So the woman is given the signal. The man approaches the woman. What are aspects of body language that both genders can pay attention to to create attraction? And what should we be avoiding? First thing is that if you're a woman, let's talk about men and women, even though they're male and female brain and LGBT covers a slightly different spectrum in the middle, but it follows under the same guidelines. But let's call them men and women for this exercise. A woman will scan room and she'll see some guy she thinks, oh, I like him. He looks cute. And so usually without thinking, even though you can learn to do this, she'll go into what's called pruning mode. And most high forms of animals will do this to attract a mate. And pruning mode might include things like she'll hold his gaze. And he's looking around the room and he sees her and he thinks, oh, she's looking at me. And then she just drops her eyes down normally to the left. Then she looks back again, meets his eyes for a second time, and he thinks, hey, she's looking again. Then she drops her eyes down again. That's the first signal. She's made two lots of eye contact. Not one, two. Two is critical. And then she's likely to show open behaviour. Now, if you're sitting with your legs and arms crossed in a dance room, nobody asks you for a dance. You know that? They don't. So guys will look around the room, who will ask for a dance? I don't want to get a knockback here. So, well, she's got her arms crossed, got her legs crossed, and without even realising, because these are basic signals we're talking about here, basic rejection, closed-off signals, we're less likely to want to ask that gal for a dance. We're looking for someone who is open. That's what men are doing. And so she'll open her body. Open her body means maybe one hand goes on the hip. You see, humans don't have any hair. Now, we lost our hair a long time ago. 
So to make ourselves bigger and more impressive, we put one or both hands on the hips. So when I do that, it makes me take up more space. I look bigger, so therefore I'm more noticeable. And this is one of the things, if you're standing in a group and somebody of the opposite sex, whether it's a man or woman, if they kind of like you, one of the things they're likely to do is put, in the case of men, both hands on the hips. In the case of women, one hand on the hip. Notice me is what that signal's saying. Now, men are reasonably adept at reading crossed arms, crossed legs, and handling hip signals, but it's about where it ends for them. So I should put a hand on hips with a bent wrist. When men will put the hand on the hips with an open hand, women use a bent wrist, which is a really interesting gesture because that's a submission gesture. So what women do, and I'll tell you something, a, the feminists hate to hear this, but let's talk about what really happens. Is that a bent wrist sends a signal to a guy, I could be dominated. Now, if he picks up a signal that, oh, she could be dominated, then it becomes more game. He's more likely to want to ask her for a date, ask her for a dance or a drink. And so on hand on hip. Then as she talks with the guy, pruning includes just touching the hair. Now, it might be just little brushes, and men do the same. So how long have you been living here in Indianapolis? Now, the golden rule of reading body signals is never to take one signal and say it's got a specific meaning because maybe he had nits or dandruff or something. We don't know. So you've got to take at least three signals just like words in a sentence. So, for example, if I just touch my hair like that, maybe I'm conscious of my haircut, maybe I've just been to the barber. We don't know. If I touch my nose and say, always watch your program, would you believe me? Didn't look right, did it? Right. Maybe I had an itchy nose, Vista. That's the thing. We don't really know. We need at least three bits of information. Body language is a language. It has words, phrases, and definitions. So the bent wrist is one. What are some other signals that women give out? I gotta look for at least three. <laughs> this is your life. This is your life, Fessa. Okay. <laughs> well, pruning is, is the first thing that men and women go into. And touching the hair for both men and women is the first. Now, it might even be just stroking the hair and flicking it or curling it. She may even produce a, a brush from a bag and start to brush it. Because the brain's saying, I want to look as good as I can for you. And this is the thing about dating and courtship that our brains say, I want to look as good as I can. So we try to get ourselves both either masculine or feminine to look as masculine and feminine as we can. So you've got hair touching, maybe hand on hip. Women will tilt their hip. They'll stand on one hip and tilt it. Most men can't do that because we're anatomically built differently in, in terms of our joints and our bones. But tilting the hip, the purpose of tilting the hip is to highlight the ratio between her waist and her hips, which is an interesting thing because there's what we call the 70% hips to waist ratio. If you, as a woman, being gender specific now, if your waist is 70% of the size of your hips, you have the greatest chance of conception, of conceiving and having children. That's the ratio. The bigger it gets or the lesser it gets, the less likely you have of conception. So if you haven't too much pie and you get bigger and bigger, you've got less. So therefore, that shape becomes less appealing to male brains because male brains, we found, are hardwired to look for this 70% hips to waist ratio. And also, if it goes the other way, if you become a super thin model, those super thin models, catwalk models, are not attractive to men. They're attractive to women because they're clothes hangers for clothing. But for men, I mean, no, no man watches uh, catwalk models. We want to watch Miss Universe because they've all got 70% hips to waist ratio and it appeals to everyone. And so standing on with one tilt with a hip highlights the ratio of your hips to waist. People that we like, We'll point our front foot, where we put most of the weight, will be pointed at the most interesting person in the group. You see this with a group of people standing around. So if you're the most interesting person, she, she thinks, oh, he's a bit cute, like him. She's likely to just tilt her hip, have one hand on her hip. And when she talks to you, just brushing the hair, or she doesn't even have to talk, does she? She just have to look at you and go like that. And suddenly you go, whoa, 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 oh, I think I wanted something good here. And men do the same. Pruning is the same, but men only have about a fraction, maybe 20% of the pruning gestures that women have, which include hair touching, clothing arrangement. I'm laughing because these are things that I do, but I'm doing it almost subconsciously. Maybe you like me, Vista. <laughs> Not now. No, I haven't done it now. But I know instances. I can think back of instances I've done that. I've given out those signals. That's right. Your brain is saying, I want to look as as good as I can for this person so they're likely to be interested in me. So without thinking, we just make these 
little adjustments. Both men and women do it. Women are great at doing this, making adjustments. Most men, we're pretty basic. That's about as far as we go. And if a guy's wearing a tie, which you don't see much these days, but I wrote a chapter in one of my books on tie behaviour, a tie which is, you, know, you think about, you start your day with a noose around your neck. I mean, crazy. Ties are around 300 years old. Or they're, you know, before buttons were invented, they used to tie it at the top and let it hang down, which you'll still see in places like in Texas and the Midwest. I'll still wear those little just like a little string with a hanging. That's how it was 300 years ago. One of the things about ties, if a guy really fancies the woman he's with, he's likely to reach up and he just makes little adjustments of his tie. And this is a really obvious one. So how long have you been living in New York? Well, I've only been here a few days myself and I'm really enjoying it. So now what we're building is what we call a cluster of at least three signals, foot pointing forward, and that, that's enough information to give you a green light to move to the next stage, whatever that might be. That is hilarious. So for the women who are watching this, and I realize some of you are listening to this on the podcast, you cannot see Alan's gestures. He's describing it pretty well, but a video of this we'll make available on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Mind Valley, search for Alan P's Mind Valley. You'll find this. The video will be up. Okay. Here's a good comment. Vision grows more handsome every year, she says, <laughs> as she frees her hair and tilts her hip. <laughs> good comment. So, Alan, so you gave all the women here the signals to look for in men, the mm -hmm. tie adjustment, doing this with your collar. And then for men, signals that we want to look for in women, the bent wrist is really intriguing. I've never heard of that. The tilted yeah. wrist also really intriguing. What are one or two other signals we can be looking at that show attraction or interest? Well, the bent wrist, just to take up on that one, is a fairly common signal you'll see with other female animals that she will feign that she's wounded or that she's in trouble so that the male will come to protect her. It's a pretty common biological ploy. And it happens with female humans as well, but they never think about it. In fact, you'll see when a woman's talking, if she's keen on, she likes you. One of the things that starts to happen, not only will you be able to see the palms of her hands, which is an important part of any face-to-face -face encounter. People can't see the palms of your hands. They remain suspicious or questioning you till they can see the palms. And this also applies to other primates, you know, monkeys, chimpanzees. If they don't want to fight, they'll hold their palms up. And we do the same. We say, look, you can believe what I'm saying, as opposed to you can believe what I'm saying. Now you're saying this doesn't look right. Because what I'm showing you is I'm showing your ancient brain that I have no weapons held or concealed in my hands. So one of the things we want to do to win people over as we talk is to bring our hands up, not above chin level. I'm only coming above chin level now because we're on Zoom, but have our hands so that they're visible. Now, if you're doing a Zoom call like this, you've got to make sure your hands don't come too far forward because you look like a little head with gigantic hands. What you do before you go on a Zoom call is just press the button that shows you what you look like right. and just see how far your hands go before they leave and how far before they're too big. So it's an unnatural feeling. See, for me to talk, have my hands back here is unnatural. Normally when I talk, my hands are about here, but they look too big on a screen. Screen communication with body language has some extra things going for it that don't exist in real life. Like you can stare at people like we do now. You look at their face and you can see all the wrinkles. You can see the marks. We're face-to-face. You don't do that because it's uncomfortable for people. Okay, mm -hmm. so the bent wrist one. If she likes you as she talks, you'll start to see wrists flapping. Oh, you're such a funny guy. And this, for a while, was the gay signal. If you go back to the 70s and 80s, the guy's a bit like that. He had a flapping wrist is what it meant. And because about 50% of gay guys will also talk with a flapping wrist because they have a female operating brain. So their behaviours and gestures for half, not all, but half, become very similar. They're the only ones that straight guys can pick, so that's why they talk like that to try to imitate them, which is, only applies to half. Okay, so you look for the flapping wrist. Oh, you're such a – he's getting more and more handsome every year, as that lady said in the comment. Vista looks more and more handsome every year, as opposed to Vista looks more and more handsome every year. <laughs> that looks completely wrong, doesn't it? Now, you're laughing because you know that looks wrong. Now, if you analyse what I just did then, nose touch, we know that Westerners – now. I exclude anybody who's in Asia for this because Asians people do not do this. When they lie in the West, we have an increased hand-to-head contact. It can be up to 10 times the normal amount. We're likely to start going for our, our head, our nose, our face, our ears when we're not telling the truth. Now, remember, you've got to look for three gestures. One is not enough. I might have had an itchy nose. So if I said, always watch your program, well, maybe I do, and I had an itchy nose, as opposed to always watch your program, great to see you again. I could listen to you speak all day. <laughs> Now, there's a cluster of at least three that says, maybe I'm not telling you the truth here. <laughs> what were we talking about again, Visual? I get sort of so head up with this, I forget what we're talking about. So, Alan, that was awesome. We learned so much from this conversation, and I'm sure the audience is getting a lot more enlightened. Now, the yeah. second question, the second thing we want to talk about is yeah. negotiation. 
So yes. that was the second big question that emerged today. Yeah. When you're negotiating with someone, and right now a lot of this is happening on Zoom, what are signals to look for? Well, if you're on Zoom, especially because most of us have been on Zoom the last year, you know, one way or the other, and and Zoom type calls and others will be here to stay. We know in the conference business, it's predicted that half of big conferences will no longer exist because we now know how to do it by having people in different locations and doing what we're doing now. We can Zoom it. And so it's important to know how to do this. You know, the biggest mistake people make on Zoom is the background. They don't think about what's behind them. So I was talking with a guy in New Zealand the other week and he had a suit and tie on. He's trying to impress me about what he knows and why we should say yes. And a toilet door opened behind him and a kid with their pants around their knees came walking out in the middle of that interview. Now, he didn't even see it. And I was laughing. He didn't know why I was laughing. He's trying to make a serious point. I'm laughing. So you've got you've actually got to control your background and light your face in such a way that if you had been face-to-face, people will feel comfortable. So it's things that you can do on Zoom. When you ask a question, you use what's called a throw. So tell me how that happened. And you hold your palm in an upward position like that, which is what you do face-to-face. Then you lean back, just put your hand just below the chin, and you nod your head in groups of three. One, two, three. Not five, not four, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Now, one, two, three, one, two, three. The person's brain picks this up. This happens without awareness. They're not even aware that they're doing it. It says, I'm interested, keep talking. So people are likely to give two to three times more information when you nod your head in groups of three. Now, more than three means shut up, I've had enough. So, for example, let me ask you a question, Vicious. So, so how did you get into this line of business? I was really into personal growth and I decided to teach it. I'm going to change my head now. So how did you get into this line of business, Vicious? I was really into personal growth and I decided to teach it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Without being aware of it, normally you wouldn't say that. Without being aware, you'd yeah. say, well, this guy's shutting me down. This guy's telling me to shut up. I'm just going to describe what just happened for the podcast audience. So Alan nodded three times and yeah. I felt listened to. Then he nodded like seven times and I suddenly felt like he was like getting me to shut up. Yes. That's the thing, that on Zoom, you've got to be aware, and that's why it's important to have a mirror beside have a mirror beside your computer or your screen so you know what you look like. Now, leaning in and leaning back is something we do face-to-face in negotiating, whether it's for a date or for a business, that if you're going to say something, you lean forward, and we nod our head three times, and we're leaning forward. Now, you can feel this now. Those who are listening to this can't see it, but I'm just leaning forward, nodding my head. I've noticed I've tilted my head to 15 degrees. Now, tilting head to 15 degrees for primates – and other animal species as well. It means I'm non-threatening because I'm showing you the vulnerable part of my neck and I'm listening. So if a woman likes you, by the way, too, she'll tilt her neck. Oh, this is looking so wonderful. Limp wrist, hand on hip. Man, you are starring here. So, <laughs> so leaning forward when you talk. When you listen, sit back. Lean forward when you talk. Sit back when you listen. Now, what this does, after you've done it two or three times, it tells the person on the other end of the Zoom call, that when you lean forward, you're going to speak. So they know that they've got to wrap up. When you sit back and you stay back, they know they've got to keep talking. So that way you can control to a large extent the amount of information and who's speaking because we don't want you to speak in negotiation. The person who's speaking the most does the worst. That's the way it works in negotiation. Who's speaking the most does the worst. Yes. Got it. When your mouth's open, you can't learn anything. Let's Mm -hmm. say we're negotiating for something, right? And the person states a price. How can we tell if they're prepared to drop the price? We're about to purchase a contract or something. Person states a price, a hundred grand. How can we tell if they will be willing to lower the price? On Zoom, it's much easier to do than face-to-face because face-to-face when you're talking with someone, there's all sorts of activity happening around you. Other people may be moving in and out. So your brain is distracted and you're likely to miss some of the micro signals because you're only dealing at the moment from chest height and above with Zoom. You can't see what my feet are doing. You can't see what my hands are doing below the screen, which is why I need to bring them up now and again to show open palms so you'll feel comfortable with me. If people can't see your palms when you're talking, they they remain on the defensive because they're not quite sure whether you, you might, in biological terms, have a rock to hit them with. Okay, so you said to me, well, the maximum that we're prepared to put in for this venture idea of product or service is $2,000. Now, you're looking at me to see what sort of signals that I can show. Now, my response will give you the clue as to whether that's too high, too low, whether I've got more in me or not. So, for example, if you give a price that people find unbelievable, they'll react as though it's unbelievable. So if you're walking down the street and a saber-toothed lion jumps out and roars, the first thing that happens is your eyes widen and you stop blinking. 
Now, the reason we stop blinking when the saber-toothed lion jumps out, if you blink for a split second, you might miss something and you're going to become lunch for that tiger. So when we see something or hear something that's amazing, our eyes will widen slightly and we stop blinking. This is the key. So you've mentioned the price and my eyes freeze and I stop blinking. That's a signal that I find what you're saying is unbelievable. And that could be unbelievable in one of two ways. It's too high or it's so cheap, I'd be crazy not to say yes. If I don't like what you just said, the price, I might just say I'm, I'm moving I'm moving backwards now on the screen. I'll move backwards in the screen. If you give me a great price, I like it, I might just lean slightly forward and my blinking rate will increase. We blink 60 to 70 times a minute unless we're really exciting, then it exceeds 100 blinks a minute. So if you can sit there counting blinks, which I do that, can you believe that? With video camera replay, we count blinks to find out how this <laughs> stuff works. When somebody's really excited or stressed about what they're hearing, blinking rate will increase dramatically. So. If my head was tilted and you mentioned a price and I didn't like it, my head straightens up. So if my head straightens up and I lean back and I stop blinking, there's a cluster of three signals. We don't want to take any one of those and say it's got a meaning, any one. So now as I talk, maybe I'm, I'm not showing my palms anymore. I'm holding my hands up, but my palms are away from me. Well, that's not a bad price. What I'm saying is I'm not getting in at this point, as opposed to if you said $2,000 and I think that's a great price. So well, I think we've got a deal. See, I'm holding my palms up now. I think we've got a deal. Right. So that's interesting. Now, can we tell if someone is giving us an inflated price? How could we tell if someone is lying or not telling the truth? Yeah, giving us an inflated price, basically. Yeah, well, probably the most asked question I get from whether it's politicians or actors or people in the marketing sales field, how do you know if somebody is doing exactly that? How do you know if they're lying to me and not telling me the truth? Well, if they're European or Westerners, I'll exclude most Asian people for this because I spent a lot of time in Asia, and one of the things we found, particularly with Chinese people, that, that they don't touch their face when they lie. They can actually look you in the eye and lie, but they increase their foot movement. So if you're talking to Mr. Wong, you want to work out if he's lying, look at the floor. It'll give you a more accurate clue than looking at his face. If he's free to go 100 miles an hour, maybe there's something else going on here. But most of the rest of the world, Europe and Eastern Europe and the West, we increase our hand-to-face contact. We're not telling the truth. Now, remember, we're looking for three signals. I'm isolating them now, but we've got to have a group of three like words in a sentence. So nose touching to first. They stop blinking when they mention the price because it's like they surprised you and they want to see what your response is going to be. Where if you put pressure on somebody and the price is too much, blinking rate will increase. For whatever reason, you've got that person on the ropes as it was. Either they think this is unbelievable, I couldn't say no, or it's just too much. It'll give you the extremes because remember, we're reading the emotions here, how the person's feeling emotionally. So if the price is too much, they might touch their face. So this is a great deal, and I'm touching my nose now. And uh, just looking at the information you send me, it looks pretty good to me. Now I'm rubbing my eye and looking away to the left, gazing the right brain, so I'm probably making it up as I go. Putting it all in, into a cluster, it's a bit like, you know, when you're a kid, if you didn't want to hear somebody speak, you might stick two fingers in your ears like I'm doing now, fingers in your ears, which means shut up. I don't want to hear any more. This doesn't look really good in a negotiation to do this. Uh, however, if you did this as a kid, you might do it as an adult. So you've mentioned the price is 2000 Now I just reach up, pull my ear, look down to the left. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm feeling very comfortable. Now, what I'm doing now, I'm shaking my head from side to side. If you feel, yes, positive, you are going to nod your head in almost every country, except for Bulgaria. It's the opposite. Uh, they shake their head to side to side for yes, and they nod it for no. It can be pretty embarrassing on dating over there. So, <laughs> so as I'm shaking my head from side to side, using the no signal, first gesture we all learn as humans, put on the breast. You've had enough, to, enough milk. You shake your head from side to side to reject the food. And so as adults, we use that in most places for no. But I'm saying, yes, this is a great price. This is no, this is a great price. And I'm shaking my head from side to side, which you can see now. If you see that and you've got any level of perception, which you do, most guys don't to the same extent, you'll get a gut feeling that maybe this guy's not telling the truth because you've picked up the head shaking signal. We cannot do better on price. Now I'm nodding my head. We cannot do better on price. We cannot do better on supply. I'm nodding my head saying, yeah, we can, we can, we can. So you're looking for contradictions in the head movement. So contradictions, contradictions. I love that. Alan, thank you so much for this educational experience. I also do appreciate that you made the distinction between Westerners and Asian because I grew up in Asia. I grew up in a city that's majority Malay and Chinese. And you're right. And every time I read body language books over there, I was thinking, well, this this doesn't apply here. That's important for people to realize as well. The thing about moving feet, I've noticed that living in yeah. Asia. 
Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing because to make those sort of points, you can quite easily be called racist because you were supposed to yeah. pretend everybody behaves the same way now, but the reality is we don't, even though uh, that's because people confuse equality with difference. Equality means exactly. you can do the same yeah. thing for whatever you want, but difference means that we think and perceive things differently, and that can be cross-cultural, as you know. Right, exactly. Like in your book, there's this beautiful diagram where you mentioned that this signal, so I'm holding a thumbs up right now, and you have a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger holding the thumbs up, and it means right on in America, and it means five in Japan, and it means up your ass in Greek. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're going to get stuck. Or number one, it means number one in France because they count one on the thumb, two on the index finger, three, four, five, little finger comes in at five. And I realized two and a half minutes ago when you turned your body 45 degrees to the right that you were going to wrap up. Exactly, exactly. Because I also want to respect your time. We're on the end of the hour, Alan. Thank you so much. So for those of you who want to learn more about Alan, just Google Alan Peace, A-L-L-A-N-P-E-A-S-E, and you will find a whole list of his books. And Alan has a body language course, for those of you who are interested, P-E-A-S-E, international.com. So peaceinternational.com. Go there to check out Alan's body language course. Alan, there's a lot of people commenting that they want to see you do a program on Mind Valley. So I'm going to have my team follow up with you because okay. I'm really impressed by what I've experienced so far. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see you again and to hear you as I'm rubbing my eyes and nose, checks in the mail, and I've really had a great time. Great time. <laughs> true, true. Absolutely, Alan. <laughs> so we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Alan. Thanks for joining us today. This is my listen. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.